Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. We're drinking today, Adam. It's a Quark's bar. Yeah. My desk is covered with the accoutrement of a drinker. <laughs> Did you put like a tarp down in case you spill? <laughs> Have you ever had a tarp party? I've had a tarp party. What is a tarp party? Is this some kind of shock website? <laughs> well... When you are as fastidious as I am about mm. your home. So so the answer you know the answer is I already know. <laughs> <laughs> and you decide to have like a throwback to college style party and invite a bunch of friends to do like beer pong and shit. And uh, crucially, you have wood floors underneath the ping pong table you have set up. <laughs> you may, uh-huh. if you're me. Lay down a tarp. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, this being Seattle and it being very cold, we figured no one would want to play beer pong outside. So we brought the court indoors, put a tarp underneath, and protected the the old wood floors of our very old house. So that's a tarp party, Ben. That's tarp party. Tarp party. Tarp party. Tarp party. It sounds so much dirtier than it probably actually was. I mean, uh, my definition of tarp party... Probably very different from yeah. others. From like Dan Savage's definition of tart party. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> what are you drinking today, my friend? Well, I went and grabbed an old favorite. You may recognize this bottle of uh-huh. affectionately called Pudding Tequila by you and me. We'll beep that out in case they want to sponsor. Yeah. I made some soda water, and I cut a lime off of my own lime bush. Wow. Got a big old ice cube with my own personal limes, and I'm just going to enjoy some tequila and maybe tequila soda and maybe tequila again and then maybe a tequila soda, you know, back and forth a bit. Yeah, I like it. Uh, You sound like a real genuine Californian with your own lime bush. I can't believe I'm finally here. I've lived in L.A. for a couple of years now, and I feel like I'm... Finally, legally a resident. You didn't really have the right light for it in your old place. I didn't, no. Now, patio limes don't really work when you don't get direct sunlight. Yeah, well, um, over the weekend, we were both invited to a party that uh, our friend Chuck Bryant threw. He is here for spring break and rented a house with a pool, threw a little pool party. I was like, I would like to bring a cocktail, a batched cocktail to this pool party. And uh, I made one, put it in the fridge to chill before we left. Oh, no. And then in the chaos of getting my baby and my wife out the door, neglected to bring it. So I have an entire, you know, 750 mil bottle of pre-batched cocktail here. It's just a daiquiri. It's nothing special. But um, don't, don't do that. Don't sell your pre-made cocktail short. I had the darndest time balancing it because I started making this. I poured all of the rum and squoze all of the limes and then realized I didn't have any simple syrup. So I had to make it, but I didn't want to pour it hot into everything else because I was like, ah, oh, maybe yeah. it'll like mess up the lime juice. Sometimes I'll just go out to the hummingbird feeder and steal from them. 
I'm a little wow. short on the syrup, you know? Hmm. Well, that's uh, pretty instructive about how you think of our hummingbird friends and how much you value whether or not they go hungry. Right. But anyways, I put ice in the simple syrup. After I made like a heavy simple syrup with like a high ratio of sugar to water. And I then I that. dumped some ice into it to cool it down. But it, uh, it tasted very weak to me. So I had a, a hard time. I didn't really have a ratio to work with in mixing this. So it's, I was just kind of adding stuff back and forth until it tasted about right. Ben, like hot sauce, why wouldn't you ever make your syrup super heavy and just use less of it? I do. Um, usually, I, I don't that's... mean I don't mean you. I mean just generally, like when when you make simple syrup for home recipes, like why wouldn't you always just make yeah super concentrated? When I have the foresight to make some that I'm going to let chill down naturally, uh, I do a two to one ratio. Mm-hmm. I do two cups of sugar to one cup of water, and then add a little shot of either white rum or vodka. Got to do that. that. Helps it preserve in the fridge basically indefinitely. That's how I keep the hummingbirds in my neighborhood coming back again and again. <laughs> That's a syrup we both can enjoy. Mm, yeah. <laughs> little grenadine, little, little booze. No, grenadine is bad for hummingbirds. Oh. Vodka's fine, as far as I know. <laughs> you get that grenadine out of there. Give a hummingbird a Shirley Temple? <laughs> no good. Nope. <laughs> Now, <laughs> and I don't want the kind of hummingbird that would enjoy a Shirley Temple. I don't want that anywhere in my garden. Mm, yeah, that's for the neighbors. Yeah, yeah, man. It's not even warm in LA yet. I I went out in my backyard to throw a ball for my dog the other day. And my fucking ankles got bitten up by mosquitoes. Never used to be that way. Yeah, it's a damn shame. Yeah, it finally got sunny here, and with the sun came. The Santa Ana winds or something. It's like blowing <laughs> yeah. 40 miles an hour outside. It's great. Yeah. We had power outages here yesterday due to the to the winds. Wow. Well, I hope we keep the electricity on for this show, Ben, because there's no do-overs on a drinking episode. This is a Quarks Bar episode. The spot was hit at the end of the last episode, and here we are. Going to enjoy these cocktails as we recap one of the great episodes of Star Trek Voyager, right? <laughs> Yeah, here here at the threshold of the millennium. Yeah. It's Star Trek Voyager season 5 episode 22 1159. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> the cold open is Janeway just minding her own fucking business completely innocently when Neelix seizes upon her in a <laughs> corridor hitting her up with some bullshit. Pardon? The Great Wall of China. On Earth. Who built it? It's Cosmo. It's Chinese. She doesn't have time for this. Yeah. I, I have not worked in a lot of offices. I haven't had a lot of square jobs in hierarchical work environments of this kind. But the more I watch this show, the more I realize that the kind of office worker I was when I did have those types of jobs is Neelix. Yeah. Like super thirsty for the boss's love and affection. When we first started watching Voyager, I think we both went pretty hard at Neelix as being just the boob of the show. But the longer we watch Voyager, I think we've both come to realize how realistic the depiction of Neelix is in so many ways. Yeah, he's he's really less the boob of the show, more the Ben Harrison of the show. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure is. I'm not as merry as Neelix, though. He is merry. I'll give him that. Yeah. Almost completely devoid of merriment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe today. Maybe on a Quark's bar I'm merry. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we both are. The Great Wall of China, Ben. What do you know about that? Uh, I know that it's one of my favorite screensavers on my Apple TV. One of my favorite Matt Damon movies. Oh, yeah, yeah, where uh, it posits a world where the Great Wall of China was built to keep, like, dinosaurs out of China. I think that's what that movie's about. And, like, somehow still a white savior is needed to to help defeat them. I'm sorry, John. I don't remember. Initially, I was really annoyed by this scene because I think we've been set upon before by people who are asking you questions with answers they already know. What is this about? Ben, you... You have Darone. Eventually, this will be your life. Mm, yeah. Just yeah. a person who lives in your house asking you questions that they already know the answers to, to, I don't know, impress you, earn your love or something. I'm guessing the Neelix won't fall far from the tree. <laughs> and Janeway is delighted by this. Why? Because the trivia that he's interested in is of her home world. There's a, she's kind of kind of delighted by the interest he's taken in things having to do with Earth. Well, very flattering. He's getting ready. I mean, yeah. what does Neelix know that we don't? Like, he he's preparing to be at Earth like it's tomorrow. Yeah, very exciting. They also talk a little bit about one of the more uh, contemporary wonders. The Battle Bridge? No, I'm afraid not. Of the Earth, the Millennium Gate. Sort of America's Great Wall of China, a thing that's also <laughs> visible from space. A thing that's also meant to keep other people out, like townspeople who used to live there. (laughs) And uh, Janeway is quite proud of her own family's history, W slash R slash T, the Millennium Gate, because uh, she has an ancestor that helped make it happen, who was also a cool astronaut. The first of a long line of Janeway explorers. Tell me more. You'll have to call again. This is a great moment for both Neelix and Janeway together. As a collector of this type of trivia, Neelix is enthusiastic about the idea of knowing someone who's, I don't know how the genetics work, like eight degrees of separation from the Shannon O'Donnell, (laughs) one of Janeway's ancestors who gets a ton of the credit for this thing. Yeah, it's... uh... Little point of pride for her, and uh, and it's just rubbing off on Neelix because he's right there in the same room with her. Rubbing off with Neelix is something that Cass used to do, <laughs> like across the room, though, right? They would just sit on opposite couches. Oh yeah, with the yeah. lights out. Yeah, she'd freshen him up <laughs> with her mind. <laughs> so we flash back to uh, around the millennium, I guess, hence the name, right? Right. This is uh, the year 2000. We get Kate Mulgrew playing the part of Shannon O'Donnell. I want to talk a little bit about this transition, right? Because you don't get a supered title. You don't get even the suggestion of like a wistful Captain Janeway leaning back and then like a dissolve to her doppelganger as Shannon O'Donnell. Like this is a show that trusts you to get on the level that... During this flashback, this is not like a holodeck program. This is, we're seeing history. Q did not snap his fingers. Yeah. Nobody booted something up. We haven't gone through a time butthole. This is the actual past. 
There's no Back to the Future like shimmery music cue either. We're just there. And it's almost like a captain's log. Yeah. Janet O'Donnell has a Norm MacDonald style note to self machine. (laughs) (laughs) I was not confused by the flashback. Like I got on the show's level pretty quickly for that. But where I immediately became confused was the technology being depicted for the year it's supposed to be. Like most of the cars are 70s style cars and the tape recorder is maybe an 80s style tape recorder. Is this meant to evoke the feelings that we get later on in the squishy accuracy of storytelling as it relates to, you know, historical figures and the things that they had available to them? Or is that something else? I was kind of interpreting it as this is a woman who is of meager means in a town that is kind of rusting out and subject to the kind of like bombing out of the small town that was a big storyline around then. Like, you know, people's jobs are picking up and leaving and going overseas or going to big cities or whatever. I wonder if they were seeking to avoid a kind of uh, Sarah Silverman episode about it. You know, like you can set it in a moment of time and make it look different in some specific ways based on these artifacts. But I'll say this, like when you put a woman driving alone in a 70s station wagon in a town she isn't familiar with, like that's a horror movie. That's... (laughs) It does have some horror vibes. Those are all of the ingredients of that. So you got to be sure what you're saying is what you're trying to say with all these things. Well, the like super chilly dude that she asks for directions (laughs) out the window. Like if that had been like Ned Ryerson. Bang! Bang! We wouldn't have been in horror movie mindset, but the like, if that's what you want, keep on moving down the road, missy. Energy is yeah. uh, is definitely making this town feel a little bit haunted. When Shannon rear-ends the car in front of her by having this interaction with someone walking on the sidewalk, this is not a scene that, to me, turns Shannon into the hero of the story. <laughs> no. She's oblivious and bad from Jump. I, I just didn't see you. I'm sorry. Are you okay? This made her the villain to you. <laughs> well, I mean, this, this poor fucking guy's just trying to get through his dead-ass town. Yeah. He gets rear-ended by by someone who doesn't have $200 to cover the damage. And then when her car won't start, she just kind of leaves it in the middle of the street for other people to deal with. <laughs> Not a good look, Shannon. I mean, I sided with her as a slightly <laughs> oblivious driver. <laughs> as a person who probably wouldn't have put the tarp down in his house if he was hosting that type of party. As a person who would just leave their car in the middle of the road and to wait for the tow truck. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We were on opposite sides of Shannon in this scene, but... How many, like, bales of stuffing material did they use to make this Hollywood backlot look like it it had, like, heaps of dirty snow everywhere? (laughs) I mean, New York Street has never looked better, and it is for the the realistic, terrible-looking snowbank, right? Yeah. It's piled high with all the gray fixins. And these people really look cold. Yeah. And there's a that guy that pops out of the car that she hits. It's Christopher Curry, who's like a you know a working character actor in Hollywood, has been in a million movies that you've seen. He is like the same level that guy as Kevin Taihe. 
and a kind of a similar type. Like I sort of feel like they probably saw each other at the casting. Oh no. For Henry Janeway. Oh no, Ben. So much so that I was like, I, f- I finished this episode and I was like, wait, was that Henry Janeway that she rear-ended at the beginning of the episode? And I had to go back and re-watch. Ben, you're a character actor racist. And <laughs> I think you better prepare the quad box apology. Well, I will work on the quad box apology. But what I'm saying is the like poking her head into the bookstore and like asking for somewhere to warm up really means something different if it's the same guy that she just rear-ended. No, it absolutely does. Yeah, it changes the whole story. Our course is locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. I recognize the rear-ended guy as Rico's dad and Starship Troopers. You're going to Harvard and that's the end of it. Yeah, that's totally Rico's dad and Starship Troopers. Absolutely is. And uh, the bookshop owner is uh, the guy from Roadhouse. My name is Tillman. Frank Tillman. There you go. The guy who wants the double deuce cleaned up. But I didn't know that the guy from Roadhouse wasn't I know. Rico's dad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I thought he wanted the double deuce cleaned up and for his son to go to Harvard. Sounds like a reasonable combination. <laughs> <laughs> Those are two priorities most people have. Yeah. Anyways, O'Donnell cannot get her car back going, so she she abandons her car and goes into <laughs> a bookstore. Uh, there are lots of like "Stop the Tower" signs everywhere, "Save Downtown" signs about this uh, this Millennium Gate. It seems like she's probably the first customer that this this place has had in in quite a long time. The horror movie vibes haven't stopped yet because I mean. She wanders into this bookshop and there's a a creepy old man there. (laughs) Offers her coffee. I'm suspicious because it's decaf, Ben. Just keep a pot of that around in your bookstore. I guess you do if you're him. There's coffee in the last holdout. Uh, Yeah, and the bookstore is like very dusty and doesn't, like even though it seems to be the only thing still in business in this town, it doesn't really seem to be in business, you know? The... Art direction on this location is fucking great. This bookstore, you can practically smell it through the screen. You know exactly what this bookstore smells like. Right. And I wanted to be there. It doesn't say it's a used bookstore, but it definitely smells like a used bookstore <laughs> from the from the show. Yeah. Uh, he's got a son, though, and his son is not like a haunted child, like in a horror film, so... That starts to throw us off the uh, the horror film scent, I think. Yeah. And onto the bookstore scent. <laughs> She's like, why does your town look like it's about to close? And uh, she notices some leaflets that are asking people to save the downtown. Yeah. That's because Old Man Bookstore and his son are anti-millennium gators. And he is the last holdout. He's like the old man in the house from Up. Except uh, it's a bookstore instead of a little house. Right. Oh, man, his son is the is the kid from Jubanji. Yeah, sure is. Wow. What a cast in this episode, huh? Isn't it? Yeah, he's, he's anti-gate, anti-millennium gate. You know, they're just nice small town folk that are, you know, a little bit standoffish at first when a stranger wants to warm herself in their shop and not pay for any coffee. Do you think the scandal that happened around the millennium is sort of glad that the Millennium Gate is a thing a year later, just kind of like changing 
the definition of that. You know, maybe the heat off. Like, this is no longer Y2K. This is now like there's yeah. construction projects that this not in my backyard curmudgeon doesn't want to have happen. I mean, there was an awful scandal around the millennium. Millennium Gate. Right. Ugh. <laughs> I was in the papers forever, but now Millennium Gate, mm-hmm. much like Tin Man, Tin Man, is now the headline. Yeah. The thing I'm really excited for, Adam, is uh, when uh, it's almost going to be the year 3000. I know. You know what they'll call it? Millennium Ghazi. <laughs> That'll be a, a, a different scandal. Shannon O'Donnell sees this as an opportunity. She sees uh, this old man and this kid as, as a couple of marks. <laughs> because with her broken down car, she doesn't have any way to pay for the repairs. And uh, this is a dad that doesn't know how to use computers. And a kid that just wants to play video games and know where to play them. Maybe if she can... I don't know, suggest a a value that she can provide. Uh, Maybe she can earn her keep and get that car repair paid for. She's got to fix it up. And uh, this guy is apparently printing up these save downtown flyers the old fashioned way and not even using email to his advantage. Yeah. Like one of those drum turned ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk copiers. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, she says, like, we can email everyone within 100 miles of here. <laughs> like, really? How do you do that? <laughs> I bet before email became as popular as it did, that was one of the main ideas, right? Like, could you just email everyone in a location? Yeah, in a radius? Yeah. You know, um, our bitter rivals, Jordan and Jesse of the Jordan Jesse Go podcast, have been having people tell stories about their, like, embarrassing early internet experiences uh-huh you know in like the early 90s when people were just getting online and they recently were talking about like a white pages for the internet like where you could like look up someone's email address in a paper book whoa <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what's going on here maybe this guy sells that book i mean if the book exists i would imagine it's going to be in this old man's store <laughs> yeah. the stacks are really high yeah Back in those stacks. Yeah, so she's like, oh, I think the Millennium Gate sounds kind of cool. Like, the scientists will learn so much about this self-sustaining environment that will be built inside of it. And he's like, it's a fucking shopping mall. It's like, this is a joke. Like, you've totally bought the propaganda, hook, yeah. line, and sinker. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Shannon O'Donnell accidentally shares something that doesn't sound like total hate for a progressive value at Thanksgiving and old man bookstore like comes over the top of the table at her. <laughs> no! <laughs> you, you broke your little gravy boats. Yeah. So in spite of their very clear differences, W slash R slash T, the Millennium Gate, bookstore dad reluctantly hires Shannon to teach computers or to maybe rent her computer. Yeah, yeah, no, it's like a it's a day rate and a box rental yeah. she gets from him. <laughs> That's how you really make money in, in production, you know? Elsewhere in town, in the bar of my dreams, <laughs> Shannon O'Donnell and a bookstore dad drink and talk, and he's sad because he's the last holdout against the Millennium Gate, and that means consequences. He's like, 
I said and did a bunch of shit that splashed back on me and my neighbors, and they lost a lot of money as a result, and I never apologized to them. And if I look hurt and speak really softly, you'll see me as a victim here, right? <laughs> We're living in a kind of pre-quad box world where <laughs> mistakes, uh, you know, can be looked at from multiple different angles. Right. And- <laughs> it's so interesting how Shannon is with him because by not explicitly sympathizing or attacking him, she's just kind of there and is a perfect neutral foil for his gripe. What a pleasure. Yeah, and and you know, they kind of come from opposite ends of some intellectual divides like there's there's definitely all through this episode a theme of the tension between the past and the future and how much Henry Janeway, you know, values and wishes he could live in the past and how much she thinks, you know, antibiotics are good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Henry Bookstore definitely dies of COVID, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's like, as much as Star Trek is a fantasy idealized future, this is a fantasy idealized present when this came out. Yeah. Like the idea that in the year 2000, a bookstore owner would have enough money to like spontaneously hire some lady that walked in the front door. (laughs) This is the part of the episode that begins to almost too subtly. Now, I would say definitely too subtly introduce the idea of a romantic tension between them. Because when Grandpa Bookstore asks Shannon O'Donnell, like, what's going on with you on the New Year's Eve? You doing anything? And where are you <laughs> headed? What's in Florida for you? She doesn't really have any answers for him. And you kind of wonder why he's asking the questions. Like, she's doing that thing where she doesn't give him answers because I think part of it is like a natural not wanting to tell him all those details about yourself because maybe it's a little too soon. She's like, I'm actually an astronaut and I'm wearing a diaper right now and I'm trying to get (laughs) to Florida as fast as I possibly can. I'm a trained martial artist and my purse is full of brass knuckles. (laughs) I'm on my way to a brass knuckle convention. (laughs) But this guy is, he's a provincial rube. Uh, I mean, as much as, as lettered as he is, as, mm-hmm. uh, as much of a rich life of the mind as he leads with all of his special books, he's never left Indiana. And so, like, they, it, this is a real opposites attract kind of thing. Yeah, except he's really a two steps back and then two steps back kind of guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. They get a banger in this bar, Ben. And uh, that's coming from the parade of construction vehicles driving outside. Yeah. The banger of progress is what it is. You can tell he's a hologram because he doesn't shake when it happens. Right. Yeah, this is... I didn't realize that this was a downstairs bar until they come outside and they, like, come up the steps. That's one of my favorite parts. Like, I like bars that you can fall into instead of out of. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Like, the bouncer is going to have to work a little bit if he wants to push you all the way back out onto the sidewalk, right? We get to a news story where we meet Gerald Moss, who's being interviewed by Action News. He's the spokesperson for the Millennium Gate, and this piece is about how much cooperation he's gotten from the town, except for Old Man Bookstore. (laughs) Yeah. Did you recognize the guy who plays Gerald Moss? Yeah, he's he's another that guy. 
He is an absolutely everything. Yeah, a still working actor. Like he was in The Handmaid's Tale and Veep and shit. Did you ever see that movie, The Invitation? That doesn't ring a bell. Kind of a psychological thriller where like a bunch of friends are invited over to this house for dinner. Okay. And it ends up being like a cult recruitment thing. Cool. And this guy, John Carroll Lynch, who plays Gerald Moss in this episode, is like kind of the cult leader. I like it. And him as a cult leader. And I felt bad about uh, my story scaring her. He just has that carriage. (laughs) He's so fucking sturdy looking. And his eyes are so, like, I don't know, like, he's got those cult leader eyes, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I pegged him as the prison guard from Face Slash Off. The uh, Great call. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. One of my faves. And, uh, yeah, like, just another kind of, like, very high caliber, that guy- character actor that this this episode has just in in total abundance can you imagine how upset you've got to be if you are a law and order or a matlock shooting shooting this month and you're like all right well call up the usual people let's uh let's get one for our show and none of them are available because they're all doing voyager yeah like god fucking damn it we need a fucking dad bod middle-aged man to fucking be on a mechanics creeper while talking to the cops and don't, like, does it stop working even though they're there because of a fucking murder and they're all fucking taken? They're all on fucking Voyager? Why? We did a character played by a stubborn white. <laughs> <laughs> we just need one guy who believably has zero fear of the police. And there's nobody available! Not one person! (laughs) Oh, man. Old Man Bookstore does that thing where he interrupts the news story. And and the cam op, you know, he's got to whip around and pull this guy into focus. You got to get angry guy on the street involved. Yeah, and the reporter is also, like, totally taken in by this. She's like, oh, here for comment is Henry Janeway, the cranky holdout in the town because every other store owner has has sold out for 20% above market to the you know Texan interest that is trying to put up the Millennium Gate. Right. But they're mad at him because uh, they don't get their money until he sells. And he's here like ranting. He's a dime holding up a dollar, isn't he? He really is. And yeah, like Henry Moss could just be like, hey man, haven't you heard of the internet? You're going to be out of business in five months anyways. Get your bag now. <laughs> The the sickest burn he could possibly do is, hey man, what was the last book you sold? <laughs> yeah. And when was it? Yeah, would you say you're in business as such? Or <laughs> like in how many different ways do you have to be a holdout? This is going to sound like stomping the independent bookstore, and it's not. I love independent bookstores. I just, at this moment in the episode, I find Howard Bookstore pretty unlikable. Whose side are you on? We get an important piece of information in this scene, and that is if Henry Bookstore continues to hold out, they're just going to build this Millennium Gate somewhere else. Canton, Ohio, or you know, somewhere else in the Rust Belt, but um, yeah. But yeah, the clock is ticking, and if they don't get a deal by midnight on New Year's Eve, they will be forced to move on. 
Even though they've brought all this heavy equipment into town already. <laughs> yeah. Like an invading army, if they don't get to build the Millennium Gate, they're just going to leave all of those vehicles there to rest. <laughs> yeah. So that night, totally seduced by the erotic power represented by Henry Bookstore, <laughs> Shannon O'Donnell sits down for a date with him where they uh, they sort of LARP that they're in Paris because that's as much traveling as he's willing to do. They just like open a book with a picture of the Louvre. <laughs> Did you get any Marty fucks his mom in Back to the Future vibes here? Like I was praising earlier how not explicit the flashback is about, you know, who's playing Shannon, if this is a holodeck thing, if this is just us watching a story where Kate Mulgrew plays the main character. But like one of the things I I think makes this feeling weird is that like, do you want him to hook up? I wished he was hunkier. Like this is not a slam on Kevin Taiyi. No. He's not the guy you cast for like powerfully seductive male lead. And But I mean all types of people can be that, but they also have a charisma in those moments that make scenes like this kind of crackle. And Henry Bookstore kind of styles himself as like a Frasier type in his interests and in the, his manner of speak and stuff. Yeah. And it seems like Shannon is charmed by him, but not wooed by him. This is a scene that is written about two characters falling in love, but... Only Kate Mulgrew is smoldering in this scene. And I think that the scene doesn't quite work because of that. Like, I I wanted to want them together more. Right. Shannon is sad that her car has been repaired, and that means that she can leave whenever. But she tells Henry Bookstore that she's willing to push out her departure date a little longer. And that makes him real happy. Yeah. It's a cute scene. And his son is going to be happy, too. Jason Janeway. Yeah. Big fan of Shannon O'Donnell. By the way, where is my laptop? (laughs) Is it with your son behind the closed bedroom door? (laughs) Why the last time he gave it back to me was it slightly difficult to get back open? And what's going on here seems pretty pervy, doesn't it? Oh, it's a very bracing transition when we're back in the future. We're in the ass lab and Janeway's looking at the Millennium Gate on the big screen when Seven walks in. Seven notes that it has a flared base, which is uh, something you want in a giant arcology. When Seven says that it's impressive to her, she's making fun of it, right? (laughs) Like, I just don't believe Seven is impressed by anything, given (laughs) what she's seen or what information is available to her. Like, this is a twig built on Earth compared to the things that the Borgs have ever constructed, right? It's impressive in the same way that, like, I don't know, the pyramids are impressive. It's like, wow, like, amazing that they could do that back then. Right. That's the kind of impressive it is. Like, impressive for you is what she doesn't say. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's the silent for you. You guys really tried. (laughs) Neat. I've got to get that latinum. Put your latinum where your mouth is. I've got to get that latinum. Not if you just drunk gold. 
You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Captain 
Janeway is asking Seven to help reconstruct the lost and damaged information about the Millennium Gate. And why would she do that? Well, it's because Janeway was inspired by Shannon O'Donnell. And the longer she thinks about it, the more she thinks that there might be some holes in this story. And it would feel a lot better if she could confirm some of the greatness that she already assumed by this inspirational figure. I like this a lot. Like, I wish more people would arrive at adulthood and think like, man, let me think about like the figures that inspired me throughout my life. The stories that I heard when I was a kid uh, about great people from the past. Let me look into those and make sure that that's real. (laughs) Seven's like, uh, there are thousands of pages on an explorer named Christopher Columbus. Would you like me to? (laughs) And Jane was like, no, no, I... (laughs) I am just fine with him. He is a great hero and explorer. (laughs) Which is a great reminder. Everybody gets Monday off. (laughs) In honor of him, wonderful guy. So it seems like Seven's going to jump in and help here. There's not a lot going on on the ship at this point. It's a little bit like the time that Janeway ordered Seven to look into her own parents. Yeah. She's like, like you've done some genealogical research before. Do that for me now. If you're a crew person and you just happen to be transiting between two interesting things, I might just stay in my quarters. Like, I don't want to be given a random <laughs> job like this. It's only going to turn out bad, right? Yeah. Do a little research as a, <laughs> a staggeringly open-ended order from the captain. Over in the mess hall, Paris is quizzing Neelix on the wonders that you can make in the video game Civilization, (laughs) while Seven works on a laptop in the cafe, where you've got to order something, Seven. (laughs) You just can't sit there at your laptop. You've been here since, ironically, 8 a.m. You haven't had anything. You took a massive shit. (laughs) What do you think Neelix's bathroom key looks like? <laughs> it's uh, it's not like a clipboard or like a ladle that he has it on. I encountered a bathroom key at a diner not that long ago uh, that was like connected to a wooden spoon, not unusual, sure. but it said turlet <laughs> written in, in Sharpie on the spoon, wow. spelled exactly like that sounded. When I worked at a restaurant, the... All the bathroom doors had been they'd hired like a carpenter to come in and make the the locks on the on the stalls be just a wooden spoon that you slide in. That's funny. And I asked the GM like two or three days into my employment, they're like, Why what's with the wooden spoons as the latches on all the bathroom doors? And this was like a open till four AM. Yeah. restaurant that had a bit of a reputation as a party hotspot. Uh-huh. And uh, he was like, yeah, like people OD sometimes and we need to be able to break into the bathroom. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. That's not like, fun. Fuck. That's not a <laughs> charming that, story at all. I thought it was like fanciful. Like, oh, like it's a fun restauranty detail. Janeway asks Henry Bookstore, what's the most interesting thing to happen in your bookstore? And Henry Bookstore is like, Yeah, sometimes guys come in here to shoot up. (laughs) (laughs) Got to kick him out. I don't want my son Jason to see that. (laughs) Yeah. David Foster Wallace took a really big dump here one time (laughs) and he was doing a signing. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, it took him like 50 pages to describe it. 
after. <laughs> so Seven can't find any references to Shannon O'Donnell in her laptop. Then that's weird, right? <laughs> or not, or not. But good thing Neelix hits like the advanced search terms right. on the ship's search engine and finds a picture of very old Shannon Janeway is, is the subtitle. And a bunch of children and grandchildren kind of gathered around her. When we go to the close-up on this picture, it's actually the close-up in Janeway's ready room where Seven has brought this laptop. And this is really exciting news for Janeway. Yeah. She's never seen a picture of Shannon O'Donnell. These must be her grandchildren. I mean, look at her. She's old. It was found in a Ferengi database, of all places. <laughs> yeah. The Ferengi were getting into nostalgic family history business. I mean, everything is a commodity, right? Like when I went to the Vatican, they had uh, they had like baseball type cards for all the popes. Oh, cool! <laughs> gotta gotta collect them all. And that was like <laughs> the incongruency of that is like what this is like a Ferengi database full of Earth pictures mm -hmm. that may or may not have a value. I have all thirteen Leos. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so. You know, the excitement of like getting a little bit of visual information about her, her past is big for Janeway and starts to fill her with nostalgia. But we cut back and we're finding out that uh, turns out Canton, Ohio may be considered for the Millennium Gate now because uh, this bookshop is just not budging and it's not looking good for this town. What's the town called? Oh, the town that they're in? Yeah. I oh. know what the town was called. I don't know. I don't think they care. Is it Lancaster? No, it's got a name. Oh, Lancaster is the name of the bookstore. But is that also the name of the town? No, it's not the name of the town. All right, you look it up then. I don't want to. We're back in that awesome bar watching the news, and I could just be here forever. Yeah, it was fun to see like the same bar, but now gremlins are you know <laughs> swinging from the chandeliers and making yeah. popcorn, and they're doing movie references <laughs> just for the joy of it. Yeah. Gerald Moss comes in and uh, invites himself to take a seat next to Shannon, who's got like a a big fold out map open. She's like figuring out her route to Florida from here. Moss does that thing where he just sort of starts saying things he knows about Shannon, factual things. And in saying- Creepily accurate factual things. In saying those facts, that's all it takes to make yourself a real creep show. Yeah. Among these facts are that Shannon used to work for NASA and lost her job in the aerospace industry recently. She sort of flunked out of the astronaut program and uh, is not gonna get to go to Mars. Yeah. Or the space station or anything like that. Moss, for some reason, is able to order a popsicle from behind the bar and tells Shannon O'Donnell if she can possibly convince old man bookstore to leave town. And then he like eats the popsicle in a very like suggestive way. <laughs> uh, there may be a job in it for her uh -huh. at the Millennium Gate Foundation or whatever. And she's like, is is the popsicle supposed to be a symbol for the Millennium Gate? Are you just hungry for popsicles or what is this? 
<laughs> Why is everyone always eating popsicles around me? Why did you also have a popsicle in the prison fight scene in Face Off? <laughs> <laughs> what is it with you? It's such a bizarre deal. Like, talk the old man off of the volcano and I'll give you a job. That's the offer on the table. And absolutely zero more information is given here. Right. No paperwork is signed. No rate is agreed upon. No. No start date. No offer letter. It's why I don't believe him. I don't want Shannon to get taken advantage of by this guy. It seems awful. She shouldn't. You don't have to live like this. How's your drink going there, buddy? Uh, I'm almost out of ice. Oh, boy. I should have brought more ice, and that was a big mistake. My ice is getting pretty melty as well. Pretty soon I'm going to be drinking warm tequila, and that's fine. I've done it before. Nothing wrong with warm pudding. (laughs) We cut to grainy moon landing footage, which is actually a Shannon Janeway dream. Yeah. She gets up and finds Jason on her laptop. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. You know that's prime time for Jason on a laptop, right? Like everyone else is asleep. Yeah. The lights in the bookstore are down low. Well, she's definitely also sleeping under like kid bed sheets. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is she sleeping in Jason's bed? Yeah. So so probably he's up just because like he has nowhere else to go. <laughs> oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. That's one of those like old timey things. Like if there's guests in from out of town, they get the bed and the kids have to suffer. I mean, you'd think old man bookstore would be the one giving up his bed. That's chivalry. Yeah. Giving up your kid's bed, not chivalry. That's nasty. You could break those bed sheets over your knee (laughs) like a board. (laughs) I have a hard time sleeping when my pillow isn't triangular. (laughs) This isn't Captain Janeway, though. This is Shannon. Yeah. Shannon O'Donnell. She's she's got uh, tricks for beating the video games that he's discovered on her laptops. Oh, he's beating some video games. All right. <laughs> there are three things to remember about being a starship captain. Keep your shirt tucked in. Go down with the ship and do it. Do it. Jason is a teenager with a lady from out of town staying in their bookstore, and he's got a laptop all to himself. What do you think is going to happen? And she's staying in his bed. So is he staying in his dad's bed? I think I've seen this video before, Ben. (laughs) And I think Jason's seen this video, too. Well, yeah, and he's also like old beyond his years because his dad is such a basket case that he like doesn't know how to pay the bills or answer the phone, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we learn a little bit about Jason in, in that he is a, a slick back, at least a half slick back anyway. <laughs> yeah, just one half of his hair is <laughs> slick back, the other the other's kind of puffed up. But uh, I guess there's no good way to say your mom's dead in a conversation. He just comes out and says it. If you don't mind me asking, where's your mom? She fell off a cliff and died on impact. He also comes out and says that he thinks that the Millennium Gate isn't the worst idea he's ever heard. He's broken in that way that you can tell. He just sort of parrots his dad's thoughts and lines a bunch throughout this episode. And like those aren't a replacement for a person's personal opinions or like a personality or whatever. But like because his dad isn't around, you can see that kind of programming kind of break down in him. Right. There's nobody policing the opinions he gives voice to. Yeah. He's having a great Thanksgiving right here and now with Shannon. Mm -hmm. We start to have this thing where whenever we cut to the outside of the bookstore, it's like a live like news camera shot of the outside of the bookstore. Like 
like the local news has just set up a live feed of what's going on at the bookstore because that is like the only thing anyone in this town cares about. I definitely noticed this too, as if he's like Puxatani Janeway and they're just like <laughs> waiting for him to come out and say like in six months, they're going to start construction on the Millennium Gate, you know? Right. He has not backed down at this point. It turns out this out of town trip was him going and getting provisions from uh, stores and businesses elsewhere where people don't have a stake in him selling his, his bookstore. By provisions, you mean three newspapers and two books? Yeah. Oh, man. This store is dying, Ben. Yeah. I mean, you should have gotten some Chef Boyardee or something. Yeah. It kind of seems like Shannon is spoiling for a fight in this scene. She takes a pretty pro-Millennium Gate position in front of uh, Old Man Bookstore, and it's hard to tell in this exact moment if those are her true feelings or if she's doing this for the job. Yeah, and I wasn't totally clear about like what her intentions surrounding the Millennium Gate were at the beginning of the episode, because... She, like, blows into town asking about it specifically. Mm -hmm. Like, was she going to here because she wanted to get involved? That is very muddy, yeah. But she comes out pretty quick with the idea that, like, this is something that Moss proposed. Like, she's, if she can get him to flip, she's got a job, and that would be good for her. Right. Like, her having a, a job, like, working on engineering the Millennium Gate would be cool for her and not as bad for Henry Bookstore as he thinks because, you know, like it's an interesting project that will bring lots of interesting scientific, you know, knowledge to into the world and also like he can still have a bookstore inside of it or whatever. And his his like insistence on everything always being the old way like may not actually be that great an idea. The episode comes really close to making Jason a sympathetic figure and maybe like the energy behind wanting to do this project because Shannon is so central to this story. She kind of makes it about her feeling stifled in this town. She's only been there for like two days. Like right. she's bored there or there's no place for someone with ambitions to go. And like there Jason sits as like the embodiment of those feelings and so little is made out of him in that way. It, I think it would have hit harder if this was more about Jason and people like him in town right? in this obviously dead end place, you know? He runs out of the store having kind of panicked when Shannon O'Donnell leaves to go, you know, commit herself to the Millennium Gate job. I think he's upset at, about the laptop being taken away personally. Right. Right, like, he took the joy of sex off the shelf years ago. Don't leave. Uh, but they kind of like flirt with there being a storyline about Jason seeing her as a potential mother figure and this right. nuclear family that he pines for that uh, he doesn't have because he lives in a dusty bookstore with his curmudgeonly old dad. And he... Like, is quite obviously a tragic figure, but the episode really doesn't center him at all. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and especially, like, the moment he runs after her feels like that moment where he will eventually catch her, and they will have that moment where 
he tearfully explains that like he's going to end up living in this stupid town forever and nothing's going to get better for him and he's never going to fall in love and and like have a great life. That scene is totally absent here. Yeah. Instead, we cut back to the future where in Janeway's quarters, a bunch of people are just kind of hanging around, talking to ancestors. Is this a salon? <laughs> feels like a salon. Janeway has a salon pose. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, she sure does. Okay, everyone, grab a wick. These candles aren't going to dip themselves. <laughs> Sounds great. Harry Kim is like telling a story about how he it, uh, getting lost in space actually sort of runs in his family. Yeah. His ancestor also had a extremely long uh, sojourn in space. Lasted 22 minutes. His ancestor also made a lot of dick mistakes. <laughs> uh, the doctor comes in and like as- assumes that this is a briefing and-, and Janeway explains that, no, it's a salon. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll hang out. Yeah. Everyone's telling stories about family members and the doc slides so easily into this topic in a in an unintentionally funny kind of way when he's like oh yeah an uncle of mine was battle chess the video game (laughs) everyone's like cool whatever happened to that game that was kind of the first chess game i played on a computer Mm, awesome it was fun (laughs) paris tells another story and this is maybe the most shocking one of all a family member that doesn't hate him yeah a person who flew gliders on mars and hold on a second Mars, you say? This person must have known Shannon O'Donnell, right? And Paris is like, no, I I collect this trivia. I would have known if I'd ever heard of a Shannon O'Donnell. And this seems very weird. Nobody that has ever set foot on Mars went by that name. Right. (laughs) This really dumps a bucket of ice water on the room. Uh, I love the, like, camera push in on Janeway with... Seven of nine in soft focus in the background with her eyes darting back and yeah. forth like, oh, shit, she's she's getting close. <laughs> and if you're in this salon, you got to be thinking about a way to get the fuck out, right? Like, well, right. all right, I uh, should probably go to bed. Got to uh, get back on my charging mat down yeah. in the cargo bay. <laughs> yeah. These uh, nanoprobes aren't going to charge themselves. <laughs> Later in... Janeway's ready room, Chakotay and her discuss like the main thrust of this episode, right? Like, isn't it weird how warped history can become like the further away from that historical moment you are and how history being written by the winners is kind of problematic for the truthfulness of what your history might be. And like, not only that, when you get a historical context being like patched together by a bunch of different people with different backgrounds or ideas about things. It's hard to get anything coherent out of that. And Jane was like, all right, Chakotay, you've convinced me. We're going to ban critical Millennium Gate theory being taught <laughs> anywhere on board this ship. <laughs> you know, I really feel like a vision quest would hit especially hard right now. <laughs> now that we're in between missions, Chakotay. Yeah. What do you say you set me up with a blanket... A glass of orange juice in a dark room. (laughs) Bindle me, baby. (laughs) This episode really rhymes with that episode about the doctor waking up in a museum and and discovering that a history of his ship is being Mm -hmm. sort of mistold in a lot of interesting ways. I, uh, I thought this was an interesting alt on a 
story that's sort of about the same basic premise, which is that, you know, the past is a different country and we like just don't know yeah. what it was like. Janeway tells Chakotay that old man bookstore and Shannon got married and that Shannon wasn't the firebrand that she'd grown up idolizing at all. And I was shocked by this because I felt next to no heat between Shannon and Old Man Bookstore. Like I saw a lot of similarities between Old Man Bookstore and Shannon as there are between Chakotay and Captain Janeway, right? Right. It doesn't doesn't seem like he really knows how to build the bathtub that she truly <laughs> desires. <laughs> do, 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 do it. Do it. Back in the world's greatest bar, Moss and O'Donnell drink and kind of toast the end of the deal as they know it. It's not going to happen. Turns out one dude can gum up the works on progress for everyone. Yeah. And it's a real bummer. It's uh, it's sad. Moss tells Shannon that, you know, we could build this in Canton. Just uh, bulldoze whatever else is in Canton, Ohio. Who knows? Build the Millennium (laughs) Gate there. Yeah, but uh, Jason runs in and and explains that uh, Henry Bookstore is sort of ramboing up in uh, in the bookstore, you know, <laughs> trying to prevent the the heavy earth movers from bulldozing everything. We're down to the eleventh hour, literally, Adam. Yeah, it's December thirty first. It's eleven p.m. and Shannon O'Donnell is in her piece of shit station wagon fighting her way through a snowstorm to get out of town. You know, a snowstorm, right? When you want to get some construction started. Right. (laughs) At night. At midnight. Especially. (laughs) Portage Creek, that's the name of the town. There it is. Yeah, you're now leaving Portage Creek. Yeah. Says the sign. She's recording a tape recorder log, talking about uh, old man Janeway in some very affectionate terms. Yeah. Rueful. I'm hoping I can get my laptop repaired in the next town. (laughs) And also my tape recorder, which for some reason, all of the buttons are stuck on. (laughs) And also the radio in my station wagon. And none of the buttons work. I'm scared to shine a UV light on any of my electronics. (laughs) Did you think Jason would be in the back of the station wagon? I thought there'd be a stowaway scene. Oh, man. And then Shannon's like, you can't go with me to Florida. I have to take you back to your dad. Yeah. There's not a take me with you scene. Instead, it's a scrum of news reporters and protesters surrounding the bookstore. Yeah. Like it's a standoff. There's like police tape everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) And Gerald Moss is like doing media within the perimeter and tells the cops to let Shannon in. And the cops are like, no, we're actually public servants. We don't work for just like business interests like that. That's not how this works. And he's like, who are you kidding? And they're like, oh, yeah. (laughs) They've preempted the late night television shows for this local news coverage of this protest or or of, of Moss announcing that they're pulling out of this project. Yeah. People are very upset. Because they were like reruns of shows that they wanted to watch. And instead it's wall-to-wall coverage of Bookstore Gate. Yeah. Inside the bookstore, old man Janeway has uh, shot up the ceiling 
where he thought Moss would be. <laughs> Doesn't kill him, but uh, no. pretty grisly sight up there. Yeah. He's walking around with his ghost fucker candle, and uh, he hears some knocking at the door and uh, comes down the spiral staircase to let Shannon in. Shannon's like, it's over. And Henry Bookstore's like, Nothing is over! Nothing! You don't just build the gate! (laughs) And she's like, in order to defeat Millennium Gate, you have to become Millennium Gate. (laughs) And he's like, oh, that's actually a pretty good idea. So I could just like have a much nicer, better lit bookstore. Yeah. Inside this new thing? Yeah. Yeah, how about that? And you basically don't have to do anything but cash a check. Yeah. And uh, she's going to stay with him. That's the other... That's Like, he's getting a check and the girl. She's going to stay with him, but in the most chase way there is. Like, I can't emphasize this enough. Like, they are barely on the same side of the screen together. In proximity. Yeah. It just seems like they're they are not romantically interested in each other at all. This this feels like a business arrangement. Only. There is as much plausible erotic energy between Shannon O'Donnell and Henry Janeway as there is between Captain Janeway and the photograph of Tom Murphy. For the clothes you love to live in. <laughs> You don't even have a dog in your bookstore? (laughs) There's really nothing for me here, is there? I took the sump pump out of my basement because it's never going to flood. You don't need to tell me you prefer oatmeal cookies. I already assume. (laughs) All of your opinions are kind of oatmeal cookie opinions. (laughs) So with that arrangement in place... Henry Bookstore goes out and capitulates to Moss, literally with like a minute to spare. He finds Colonel Troutman outside who who puts his jacket on him and walks him to the police car. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and everyone cheers. Yeah. Progress wins. Yeah. It was, uh, it was foolish of the local uh, police captain to uh, <laughs> to to disregard Troutman when he when he said you're going to need more men yeah. or whatever. When they said Henry Janeway would eat things that make a billy goat puke, they just meant books, books yeah. and book bindings and newspapers <laughs> and. Mm-hmm. When Troutman said he made him, what he meant was like he he like uh, you know took him to like a, a letterpress place and <laughs> taught him bookbinding skills and stuff. Back in the future on Voyager, Neelix buzzes Janeway in recorders and he's like, hey, uh, you got to come down to the mess hall and I can't tell you why. It's something personal. And in the mess hall, Janeway arrives to find a party for Happy Ancestors Eve. Yeah. But it's April 22nd. It's like, Neelix, that's Earth Day. You should be obsessed with Earth Day. You started this episode being really interested in Earth. You're right. There's something a little empty about Ancestors' Eve as if it were just a made-up holiday by the greeting card companies. Yeah, yeah. To get people thinking about those who have come before for some reason. No one wants to think about them. Give me a fucking break, Hallmark. (laughs) Neelix has framed that photo of old Shannon that they dug up earlier and the group 
kind of pressures Janeway into believing the central thesis of the episode, I think. And this is an interesting part of it to me, that it doesn't matter what the truth is about Shannon, because the best part of being inspired is the doing the thing that you're inspired to do, not necessarily the why, right? So if you're doing a thing to satisfy some need to be like someone else, like that fuel doesn't burn clean. And this is this sounds pretty convincing to me. I like the premise of it. I think that it's a little bit misstated in the episode. Uh-huh. Like I didn't love Tuvok like shouting from the back of the room like nah, that he's he's all about sentimental a historicity. Tuvok, you get no dialogue in this episode. You should you shouldn't say anything. <laughs> you should you shouldn't have said that, Tuvok. It's, it's like it's like against type for your character. Yeah, yeah. I think I agree with it in general. Like the idea that the inspiration she took was much more valuable than whether or not the truth of the story that inspired it is accurate or whatever. But yeah, um, that's a more elegant way to put it than how I did. But yeah, totally. It's a drunker way to put it. <laughs> right. How are you doing with your with your babita? Are you are you on to warm pudding? Yeah, I'm. I'm drinking the warm pudding. I'm feeling really good. Good. Really good for a Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> uh, we have a we have a nanny here today looking after Darone, and hey. I was like getting the pre-batched cocktail out of the fridge, and she came into the kitchen, and I like stuck it back in the fridge and closed the door. Oh no! It was like I don't want her to know what I'm doing right now. Ben, what do you think about getting a mini fridge out in your studio? Would that help things or hurt things? Well, we don't want the compressor kicking on during recordings. So don't. But yeah. I do have a mini fridge. <laughs> Maybe out in the shop. Yeah. My wife had like a college dorm room fridge that was sitting in her parents' garage since she was in college. And it recently made its way back here. So I wow. gotta plug it in and see if it still works. But maybe that's maybe that's the move. That's a good idea. Yeah. It's important that your drinks aren't any more shameful than normal. That's that's an added level of shame that you shouldn't have to deal with. Yeah. It's terrible. It's terrible that I would have to deal with shame surrounding my drinking. So the last shot in this episode is is like punching in on this photograph. And we see a kind of Cro-Magnon Janeway <laughs> holding a frightened child. <laughs> and that's the feeling we end on. They were like, uh, we got Kate in the in the burlap to do yeah. the USS Lantry level old lady makeup. It is Lantry, isn't it? I guess we might as well shoot a little bit of this for some reason. Look, we don't have to use it unless we're short. Yeah. Let's just pray to God we're not short. <laughs> Did you like this episode, Ben? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets. I don't like friends, and I don't like you. There's a lot I think is very interesting about this episode. This came out in 99 Mm -hmm. and is set in like late 2000. And I think in like mid-99, I remember like everybody talking about Y2K and like... Yeah. I grew up in a pretty like not crazy... You know, like my parents' friends, like 
come over and shit weren't lunatics but like it was just like in the air you know like people were talking about oh man like this could be like a big deal and i i think that it's really interesting that this episode is so confident in that being a bunch of fucking bullshit mm-hmm. <laughs> like i think that like right-minded people believed that that was bullshit but you could still run across serious seeming people who were like, yeah, no, like it's going to be a, a, a massive like society upending problem when the computers all go berserk and like trains start getting into head on collisions and yeah, nuclear power plants start melting down because the fucking clocks aren't set up correctly. I think for a lot of people, you don't feel like you're living unless you're afraid of something, you know? And the themes in this episode are, kind of about that it's like about fear of the future fear of change Mm -hmm. the type of person who stays close to home and never ventures out into the wider world versus the type of person that is drawn to exploration and pushing the envelope that you know would sign up to try and be an astronaut that would drive a piece of shit across the country to florida yeah. You know, this predates the the real story about an astronaut driving a piece of shit to Florida right. wearing the diapers and so forth. Right. Uh in in many ways uh previsages that uh <laughs> that phenomenon. <laughs> I feel like this episode is more interesting than it is good. Mm. Like it's interesting as like a cultural artifact. Those make really good greatest gen episodes also. That type. And it really like hues to Star Trek values also. Like the future is going to be better and not to be scared of it being the kind of the certain sort of moral of the story. Yeah. But I, you know, watching it, I was like, okay, like, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't really care that much about these characters. <laughs> you know? Do you think it would have mattered more if we knew more like throughout Voyager what an important figure Shannon O'Donnell was? To Janeway, like versus just being this an introduction to a new concept here. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Like I think that and Henry Bookstore being a more like compelling romantic interest would have been the two things that would have really punched this up. But as it was, I I wasn't like really taken with the romance of the storyline. So it wound up sort of falling flat as an episode for me. I mean, you get the picture at the end and it's just O'Donnell with grandchildren and grandkids. Whatever happened to Henry Bookstore? Like, wouldn't it have been cool if he were in that picture? It doesn't look like he is. He died of COVID. This episode comes so close to like, I think we talk about this all the time, like how Star Trek seems very comfortable in that space of like suggesting an interesting science fiction-y idea, but like without the conviction to actually take a stand yeah. on one side of it or the other. And I think at the end of this episode, when you get a group of people coming together going like, look, we all mythologize people or things. And like, that's just what being human is about. And Tuvok's like, yes, it's a very human thing, obviously, to make a big fish story about someone's history. Like, that is a good message but that's also like almost it's not articulated in the way that the episode kind of thinks it's doing right i wish this episode was stronger in its emphasis on like 
you can only do the best you can for the reasons that you find valuable or inspirational. And you'll never know the truth of the ancestors that came before you. And if you, if you did, you might be disappointed or sad or upset by it. So like try to have the confidence in yourself to be great in this life with the time that you have. And like, what is a more Star Trek message than that? And it can't even do that. Yeah. I think generally, like, I love the idea of digging into Janeway's story and like what her inspirations might be in a way that I wished we got for all the main characters. Like, I would love episodes about every bridge officer that was like this in this in its way. And Kate Mulgrew is great in this, and that's maybe why I think that. Like, she can really do this really well. And I'd like to see all the other bridge officers like get that same crack, like to play a different character and and to do this thing. I think that'd be fun to get like our once a season episode about like what a past Harry Kim would be or whatever. Like mm-hmm. what door he closed onto his clarinet, you know, <laughs> in the early two thousands, right? Yeah. Yeah. But um yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on just about every criticism. It's a fun episode to talk about and laugh about. And an exercise in Star Trek that is fun because it's a period piece and it's trying to make that comment on something contemporary, but I don't think it's just quite forceful enough in whatever it's trying to say. Well, Adam, do you want to see if there are priority one messages that are forceful enough in what they're trying to say? Oh, yeah. I'm going to get in there with some farce. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first P1 here is of a promotional nature, and it goes like this. I was surprised and embarrassed to fall in love with a Star Trek podcast. I was also surprised to find that a life coach was an amazing thing for me. Check out my incredible and nerdy life coach, Blaze, and her great podcast, The Self-Awareness and Self-Compassion Podcast, at blazeschwaller.com. Might be good to spell her last name. I agree. It's S-C-H-W-A-L-L-E-R.com. Blaze has truly changed my life and business. She works with clients all over the world. Love the pod, guys. I listen every day. So uh, if you're interested in a life coach, Blaze is the awesomely nerdy life coach for you. It's B-L-A-Z-E-S-C-H. W-A-L-L-E-R dot com to meet Blaze, the awesome nerdy life coach. How fortunate is Blaze to just have a very satisfied client in gym to uh, put in this P1 message for them? Man, I, I wonder if uh, if this was part of the deal. Like, <laughs> I'll pay you like up to the last 200 bucks and then I'm going to put that into a P1 or what? Yeah. Yeah, Blaze, maybe a discount for gym is in order here. You're about to get... The greatest gen bump. (laughs) And I look forward to hearing whatever drop that is. (laughs) Ben, our second priority one message is of a personal nature. It is from Chris, Sarah, Nina, and Harrison. And it is to Laika. Laika Buns, our sweet dog. That message goes like this. You were named after the first dog in space. We will forever think of you whenever we look at the stars. 
Thank you for so many years of gentle companionship. We will miss you terribly. Oh, poor Laika Buns. Oh, that was difficult to get out. Difficult to croak out by me. I know the pain of a missing companion, and uh, Laika sounds like a good, good buddy for this family. Yeah. Oh, I miss Laika Buns too. Yeah. What a sweet pooch. RSVP. Adam, our final P1 here is from Johnny from Canada, and it's to Windy Pretty. goes like this. Just listen to GG Voy, Season 5, Episode 11, Spare the Battle, Spoil the Child. <laughs> There's an edit of 7 of 9 where Astrometrics Lab was edited to Ass Lab. If possible, drop that audio here. You don't recall speaking to me in the Ass Lab one hour ago. No. I laughed so hard I had to pause the pod and pull my car over. I then bought this P1 to say, great job, Wendy. To Adam and Ben, best pod ever. Cheers. Boy, couldn't agree more with Johnny from Canada. Uh, that made me laugh out loud when I first heard it as well. Yeah. I uh, I love that Wendy found a way to have <laughs> It's not said often enough that Wendy is a, is a real world-class comedy editor absolutely in to just being a great producer yeah when the show's over like over over in 15 years or whatever <laughs> we should do the uh the larkin awards for windy and like just all her best edit moments oh man because there are miriam of them <laughs> it's gonna be like an eight-hour episode yeah and she's gonna have to edit it <laughs> how about news Oh, she will have moved on to bigger and better things long before that. God, I hope not. She's a, a great part of what we've got going here, uh, just as the Friends of DeSoto are. Look, prior to one messages, a great way to support the greatest generation and greatest trek. You can have us read one of yours by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Yeah, I'm going to go with old man Janeway. There's just too much about mm. him that I didn't understand. I couldn't understand. That the episode wouldn't let me understand. <laughs> like, kind of half a chaos agent was old man Janeway. And, I mean, it's enough to be the drunk Shimoda this episode, but... Sure. I feel like that is a character in need of a little bit of a punch up here. To achieve true chaos agency. Sure. But that's all we got here. And uh, and that's good enough for me. What about you? I'm kind of surprised you're not joining me on the square of the guy dri driving the fastback that gets yeah. rear-ended at the beginning of the episode and just sort of accepts, like, as a, you know, he he's such a schlamazzle that when he finds out that she's like, too broke to pay him cash and doesn't have insurance. He just like gets back in his car and drives away. <laughs> I don't know, man. 200 bucks versus the rest of your day. That guy's doing the math. I don't think he's wrong. But this is 2000, you're 2000 bucks, you know? Yeah. yeah, I get that. This isn't the price of a, of a commercial P1. This is like- His window louvers were not damaged though. That seems like the most unique ac aspect to his car, which looks like, what is that like in in 1980s Celica? Oh, I I thought it might be like a Z. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Maybe I'm. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a car guy. 
Yeah. Somebody can tell us what kind of car it is. Yeah. We don't know what we're talking about here. It's a handsome car. It doesn't look like $200 is going to cover it, but, uh, you know, as with so many things, the action is below the frame. Mm-hmm. You don't really mm-hmm. see what the damage is. Yeah, the the fake frost that they put all over both cars to sell that this was happening, not in Southern California, but in <laughs> some yeah. frozen northern state, uh, is probably higher amount of damage than whatever this fender bender did. Oof. How are you doing on drinks, Ben? I've nearly finished my uh, my bottle here. Good job by you. I'm not really sure if I'm going to go for the last bit, though. Yeah. Is it worth it? You know what, man? Be good to yourself. Save it for some other time. I'm trying to. I'm trying to do by right by the friends of Desoto, Adam. Not not by my body. We've got show to do here still. <laughs> so why don't we take it on over to the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker. Sure. And figure out how we're going to do the next episode. Well, the next episode is season five, episode 23, Relativity. Seven is recruited by Captain Braxton of the 29th century timeship Relativity to go back in time and stop an unknown culprit from destroying Voyager. Don't you just never trust timeship captains in Star Trek? They can't be trusted. Timeship captains are bad. Yeah. They're all the way bad. They're never good. Yeah. I don't like this guy already. Yeah. Captain Braxton? More like Captain Braxton Hicks because he's a fake contraction. (laughs) One love, Captain Braxton. (laughs) All right. uh, I am at the game of buttholes. Of course, we're on square 18, that quirks bar that we hit by going through the space butthole. Looks like we could hit a... Eyes uncovered square or a banger, depending on what I roll. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Really? Yeah. Wow, kind of a lot of action out there. Oh, wow, I hit the banger, Adam. I rolled the six. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. And it banged us back five squares, so we're on square 19. One square ahead of that quirks bar. And uh, still on the second row, where we've spent so much of our time. So we basically went ahead one. Yeah, yeah. So we could have gone, oh, it's just five spaces back. There's another square where we could go anywhere. Right. That's not that. Okay. That's not that. The banger is, uh, is, is just five spaces back every time. God, we used to be so much further than this. I know. All right. Regular old episode. <sighs> yeah, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with a regular episode. I want my mental faculties solid for a time travel app, I think. I think that's good. Sounds good to me. All right. All right. Ben, we have so many people to thank for making a show like this possible. Friends of DeSoto, first and foremost. Those that support the show at MaximumFun.org slash join the whole year through. That's Look, if if you like what you hear, think it's worth a little something... We could always appreciate your support over there. Maximumfun.org slash join. We got to thank Wendy Pretty, our producer, editor, person that keeps us on track, keeps the keeps the calendar over here at Xbridge Shimoda, make sure everything is running smoothly. Not a comedy goalie, like the opposite of a comedy goalie. Yeah. She's like... She's waving she's them like through. This, the sixth person on the ice for us. She's a comedy base coach 
where there's like a, a grand slam and she's waving the runners in. It's not even fair. It's not even fair that she's on our team. It makes Greatest Gen dominant in the Star Trek podcasting game. And Greatest Trek too. did you see? Did you see the news? How Greatest mm. Trek is like a top 20 post-show podcast? Like the genre of podcasts that talk about TV shows? Yeah. Isn't that nuts? And Greatest Trek is one of them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, if you're not hip to Greatest Trek, which is our companion podcast that covers new Star Trek... You really need to get over there, especially with this season three of Star Trek Picard. Yeah, listen to our season three coverage of Star Trek Picard and then listen to... We've got seven weeks in between Picard and Strange New Worlds where we're going to be going into alternate histories of Star Trek actors, checking them out in other shows, in other genres of shows, in other kinds of television and movies. This is going to be so much fun. Weird places where Star Trek actors have popped up in uh, TV and movie history. It's going to be the theme for seven weeks on Greatest Trek. And, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. You're not going to want to miss it. Really fun off-season episodes going on over on Greatest Trek. Definitely subscribe. we got to thank Bill Tilly, the card daddy, who runs the social media accounts at Greatest Trek on all social media. Got to thank Adam Ragusea, who made our original theme music on this show. At Adam Ragusea on YouTube to watch his show and listen to the Adam Ragusea podcast. Really smart and great food content in the Adam Ragusea show. Sure is. With that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that is... uh, just inherently suspicious of chronometric particles. Time travel. Yeah. Always am. Make it so. I keep on wanting to call it the Millennium Gate. Isn't that what it's called? Okay. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.